Coming to you live from the Ice Cave and Tiki Lounge, deep within the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki! Hey kids! Do you like movies? Do you like nerdy things? Do you like getting excited about stuff? Do you want two geeks talking? About what they've watched and read and done? And made in the last two months? Well, hold on to your air conditioning! Because it's time for... The Hardcore Genki Hour! Hello, welcome to the Hardcore Genki Hour. I'm Laura Pinkapple Jam Watton Davis, forever productive but feeling forever behind on everything. And I'm Andrew Raggedy Man Watton Davis, 50 pounds of opinions in a 60 pound bag. And this is the August 2018 update on our world of comics, films, TV, conventions, creations, and generally being excited about stuff here at the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Because if something's worth getting excited about, it's worth talking about. Just kick things off. Feedback from the last episode. Feedback. Thank you. Uh, special thanks to Bella Lugosi's Shed, who described us as an hour of popular culture and acerbic commentary. <laughs> That's uh, pretty impressive coming from those two. H.J. Doom and Richard de Valmont, who have... Uh, you've listened to... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're quite tart when it comes. They're quite dry <laughs> yeah. with their humour uh, and their wonderful... Horror show, horror show. Uh, they are but... also being syndicated on Bunkerzilla. Yes. So get thee to your bunker and uh, listen to yeah. Bella Lugosi Shed. And hopefully in a year, as we'll explain later, we'll be doing a crossover episode with Ooh-hoo. them. Ooh. Uh, who else would we get feedback from? Yeah, Claire. Claire said, uh, if you're just into the whole natter about new nerd pop stuff, I highly recommend. Thank you, Claire, Thank for you, recommending Claire. our podcast. Appreciated your listening. Highly appreciated, because it's always wonderful when someone shares this with people on Facebook or Twitter or yeah, anywhere. Yeah, so thanks again for your share. Yeah, more more listeners and more feedback we get, the more like we are to carry on doing this, because it helps get new listeners and it helps spread the word. And feedback tells us where we're going wrong. So we haven't got any, we haven't got any questions from the listeners uh, for mm-hmm. this pod, mm-hmm. uh, but even though people can always tweet us at at Hardcore Genki or email us at superfortresshg at gmail.com. We're always after questions from people. But we did put a question out this time. Yep, and we did get answers. So our question was put forth in honour of Andrew's addiction. I, I, I'm only slightly addicted to police procedurals. He's very addicted to police procedurals. It's one of his many positive traits. Yeah. So if you were to start in a police procedural, what would the gimmick be and what would the name be of the show? And are we doing Keith's? (laughs) We might have to censor a certain word. Keith C uh, came up with the response of every time I had an investigative breakthrough, I'd punch a Brexit minister in the face. Uh, D-I bleep puncher investigates. (laughs) In a similar vein. Claire said, uh, political sensitive cases, dedicated squad for cases involving influential figures and corporations. The 1% squad. Ooh, Andy P uh, came up with garden gnomes. Her gimmick would be garden gnomes and giving the weird little backstories as their potential perps. Uh, the series would be called Stone Cold and the uh, tagline for it would be When Justice Gnomes No Limits. <laughs> Oh, God, I can't believe I read that. <laughs> so, Reese says, Unique acting for my procedural feature- featuring Tommy Wiseau and Jeff Goldblum. Other hammy actors could be p- also be included. Oh, hi, murder! <laughs> would be a possible title. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. Uh, ben P uh, has a wonderful concept. She's second in line to the th- throne, cloistered away from the world. He's an aristocrat 
who's down on his luck and has joined the new police force. Together they fight crime in the upper crust 1820s society. They are Albert and Victoria. That's amazing. That's... That would be rewritten in the style of uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, basically. That could be a legit fiction, or is it, uh, title. Someone's probably now writing That's that. That's true. I'm not going to go on fanfiction.net, though, sorry. No, just don't go on fanfiction.net at the end. And finally... Uh, yeah, our, our mate Dave, he said, sadly, they've they've done glam metal detective. He would make such a glam metal detective. Great. It's a shame that was quite a bad series. Um, so I had a quick uh, scoot around Crunchyroll. Uh, and yes, you can view these two anime titles in the UK. Courtroom drama, a magical mayhem explodes in a series called Wizard Barristers. God. <laughs> yes, it's available. And there is another one. And I, I don't know where this translation's come from. Maybe it will make sense. Cuticle Detective Inaba. Oh. The latter is a 2013 anime spoofing hard-boiled detective stories. And I've also got to mention the one that set me up on this uh, Google search anyway. Anime Crimes Division is a mini comedy series on Crunchyroll featuring ProZD Pro and Alex Wasabi with two S's. It's a live action comedy spoof on Crunchyroll. And there's uh, there's like tons of Asian dramas I haven't even looked at. So I'm going to have to start watching Crunchyroll now. Yeah, get to it. You're... Because cause So my... I married a wee. Because my main hookup recently of... Um... Bull, mm-hmm. that season's ended. Yep. Season two ended um, shockingly. It is our, com- our own Was. complete fault for yeah. just grinding through it. Like, but yeah, that's over. So now I am, I am bereft. Yeah, oh, so I'll have to find some other tattoo. We, we can try one or two of these. We will see how you feel. Well, it's a police procedure. I'll have to give it a go. Exactly. In the world of UK comics. In UK comics. Good news about the UK's ongoing comic, The Beano. Um. It's evolving with the times a little bit. Um, It was stuck in the past, perhaps, a little bit. Although the characters that were popular in the 50s and 60s, we grew up in the 80s and 90s, and they're still going in the 21st century. New format works well. Well, I'm going to say newish formats, because you've got your front pages and your middle pages, Bash Street Kids, that still work over double-page spreads. But the long-form comics, and I say long-form as in... 12, 16 boxes on one page. They're splitting that into shorter strips, three or four panel gags. Okay. So I feel, personally, they're making it family-friendly, mean sort of culture, comic strip humour, as opposed to comic, sequential comic page humour. So the Instagram and the Twitter account and the online Beano site Mm -hmm. seems to be less character centric although obviously features the characters but there's lots of silly jokes as always and i think yeah it in this world where you can't really let your kiddies browse the internet if you go on the beano site you know the beano is always going to be you guaranteed a, a, a form of curatorship and quality so i'm really happy with what they're doing they're launching new characters so our comic village friend, Cowgirl M, is now drawing quite frequently for the Beano. And through her comic strips, I've seen that they are introducing new characters, including uh, one of the strips is going to be a discussion, actual proper real-life discussion between uh, grown-ups and kids about overuse of digital devices. So That's yeah. awesome. Even though the... 
the Beano's anarchy personified, distilled into comic book page form. The fact that it's got such an influence, they are putting serious, essentially public service information mm. in it, using it as a platform. And I think that's a brilliant idea. I think that is awesome. I genuinely think that is it's such it is the right place for that sort of thing to be mm. done. And it will be done lightheartedly. The scriptwriters are professionals. Mm. Um, so yeah, well done, Bino. That's well awesome. done. They've relaunched the Dennis the Menace fan club. <gasps> I know, so you can get your fuzzy Nasher badges mm. and a slightly redesigned pack. Um, you can get your membership card, which is <laughs> a plastic card with a Nasher teeth bite mark in it. That's so cool. <laughs> it's very cute. I mean, it was so much harder for older fans to get merch back in the day. Oh, I mean, yeah, was... you could, unless your nan knitted you a black and a black and red stripy jumper, you had no chance of getting Beano merch. But even then, if you wanted to join the fan club, you had to send a check or a postal order. Yeah. Or, considering it was aimed at, like, I'd say the Beano's easily aimed at the under ten. Yeah, yeah. You've got to. You had to convince your parents to shell out. I guess it would have been. Probably coming on for like a five or a tenner to yeah. join the fan club, and they wouldn't understand why you wanted to join. So unless they were Beano, oh yeah, fans yeah, yeah. unless they they've been brought up right as well. Yeah, exactly. The, the one thing, the one thing I was going to say with the changes you're talking about, the moving to the four panel. Mm. As a a long time aficionado of the Beano, I I, I don't really think there's going to, that's that's as big a change as people might make out Possibly because not. the gags, yeah, especially the one page stuff or yeah. even the or, or definitely the half page stuff was normally very drawn out. So by putting it into three or four panels, they can get to the to the punch so much quicker. Yeah, um, I mean, essentially, long form com- gag comics are a number of three four panel gags mm. extended aren't they so, so and i also think in the past um comic comics were a panel one panel illustration with dialogue underneath whereas the comics that you and i grow grew up with the beano eras mm. were reduced dialogue so now it's just got reduced even more distilled mm. i think is a nice way of, of describing it Less superfluous text, yeah. bang, bang, bang. Oh, as you say, it goes straight to the punchline. So um, it it's a rejig of essentially the same format. Less chaff, more wheat. But, I mean, I can definitely not remember any of that PSA stuff ever turning up in the Beano. That, uh, I don't think so, no. I can't remember it Maybe ever. Maybe one or two adverts. But honestly, I think it's genuinely responsible. Yeah. Because we don't really get public service information films on telly we don't we don't, i mean i know some people would have thought oh it's too patronizing horrific oh, oh we don't need the well some of them were we don't need these he-man says sailor moon says yeah snippets at the end of cartoons however what happens if you don't have access to them if you're from a family who isn't communicating for mm. whatever reason um you need that information from somewhere but surely having more information is better than not having it in the mm. first place. I, so you need to be able to have the option to disregard it or not. I think also also having a a kid friendly space online that isn't like a club penguin because which I don't think even runs anymore now. No, club, it? Pen- yeah. club penguin, club penguin, shit can. But um and. I know that you're supposed to be over 13 to sign up for all these things, but let's oh, just... Oh, ex- yeah. yeah. I mean, kids will kids sign will. up. But having a like an Instagram or a Facebook that is the Beano and having 
a kid-friendly space in an adult service. I'd be amazed if they don't monitor those and keep the stuff. Oh, yeah, because, so, well, it's a branding yeah. issue, isn't so it? So that, because as a kid, you want to be where the adults are, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily want to be involved with yeah. what the adults but are talking about. But essentially, the internet it, is an adult's world. Oh, absolutely. So having that space, I mm. agree entirely. Yeah. It allows kids to be in that grown-up space, but it also gives them an area to be kids looked after. Yeah, because it's not talking about it's not people yelling about stuff they don't care about, yeah. or it's not stuff that's big and scary. Because at that age, yeah, politics and and sex and all that stuff is yeah, it's kind of scary. So, it is, yeah, it's terrible, um, and that it's the sort of thing that needs to be filtered correctly. So it's yeah. too early for some kids. God knows what so many kids have. Yeah come across online when they're not prepared for it you know and and that's a huge risk that i think people still don't realize but the beano takes risks well it does and it's it it i'm just really pleased that they've done it yeah you know i think also it's um i mean let's face it the beano didn't have the world's most pc past no because that was the culture that, uh, it wasn't was intentionally no. like abusive no. or racist or anything it was just how things were but they the beano has made efforts to overhaul those unrelatable elements. But our generation was of the tail end of kids getting smacked when they were being naughty, whereas it's not acceptable to do that these days. Because, you know, too many people were taking the piss, I think, and just using it as an excuse to beat up their children, which is shit. I also think modernising it is a pretty cool plan, because when I was reading through it, there was so much... It was still... In the 80s when I was reading it, it was still very much caught in its 60s tradi- 60s and 70s tradition i think so so there was a you know like the teacher having those the mortar board there was which very was from re- our, which is from our parents generation yeah, it was I, I, you ask your mom and dad whether they had teachers with mortar boards i went to um it was a little sad i went to a funeral but it was a bit like my mom and dad's class family mm. reunion and it was so interesting to overhear their tales of school that i'd never heard of mm. and they'd use the beano as reference like their teachers would have mortarboards this came from a crazy teacher who used to turn around and throw the blackboard eraser at children who were talking whilst he was writing on the board i mean that's just, just bonkers isn't it you it's couldn't like you, relate to it no no but mom and dad used to explain that and they used to have a long cape and a mortarboard like teacher from the bash street kids they absolutely said. really interesting so it's that curious thing and that yeah. when i when i was reading it on the one hand it had certain contemporary things like you know they got skateboards or they they always they had like laser beams and all that but it was also very very retro at the same mm. time so i i enjoyed it but i always felt a bit disconnected from mm. it to modernize it to bring it up to speed to get away from things like lord snooty which was just from a world i couldn't understand mm. and the bash street kids which is as you said, you've got a teacher with the mortis, mortar boards. You've got the, to get away from that and move towards a more modern mm. setting. I think that's awesome. And I think that's going to future-proof it. So you've got a very old-style, historic comic that's getting up to speed, but sticking to its roots. I mean, even its anarchy, because I had to look through um, a couple of the pages of the recent one. It, it's a lot softer anarchy than it used to be. It's nowhere near as 60s kids running, running wild. No, I think because you can't really use catapults or throw things at people. So it's more cheekiness. Yeah. I mean, 
the editor, the editor of the Beano wrote a cease and desist letter to Jacob Reese Mark <laughs> to, to stop using Walter the Softy. <laughs> yeah. As uh, in in his image, and of course there was no response because I don't think the government have a sense of humour. Yeah. Um, or maybe there was one, and I missed it. But I just thought that was so funny. That was Honestly, funny, and that was an so article. funny. Yeah. So talking about the older retro. Oh, uh, yes generations of you can you can get an entire catalogue of Beano annuals reprinted per year for 20 pounds so that's each year it's annual is 20 quid that's right so if you wanted 1958 mm. Beano annual 20 quid 1996 20 quid basically all the late late 20th century sounds Beano's a lot from stuff but it's not really because, is it yeah uh, nothing's edited um they are high resolution scans from the originals so depending on the source material there could be some smudges and page creases which i think adds a nice air to it and you can get them annotated to whoever you are gifting them to so we could get say our dad's birth year and write an inscription and write our dad's so th- names these, in these it. are these aren't 20 quid reprints of what's effectively what a 60 page thing this is a proper presentation edition mm. this is a folio i think that is fair, whatever well it looks like a beano annual yeah you know hardback with paper it, it, yeah. paper that's not too shiny mm. like good quality stock so uh i'm kind of tempted to be honest mm. definitely for your birth year yeah 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 it's really sweet so yeah well done well done to dc Bino. thompson well done Bino. keep on trucking meanwhile in video games so our friend Chris, uh, alternatively known as Ushio Gaming, uh, visited us the other day, uh, earlier this month, actually, this month, yeah. and brought along some games, mainly the Jackbox Party Pack. But also some other games of varying um, sensibilities. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the Jackbox Party Pack, we played You Don't Know Jack. I was very excited about that. So how did you know? Not no jack <laughs> i know i knew you don't know jack because it originally came out as this amazing three-player game when i was at uni so this was like 96 97 this game appeared and it was um it's a 21 round trivia um game uh but it was it's done in the format of a t- of a it was done in the format of a um of a game show as in they made it sound like you were a participant in the studio uh and it had peter k and uh sorry, phil k um the guy who did at the time was notorious for dennis penis and um it was this properly weird it was when high culture and pop culture collided you had really strange questions that were like comparing democles to uh the adventures of hercules and all that uh sorry to uh take that and <laughs> Very, very strange. So we played that and then it disappeared. And then it turned up again recently and I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. It's a game I feel that you had to learn how to play. It mm. wasn't particularly intuitive, but that kind of added to the manic mayhem of oh, yeah. it. So I thought that was a good... But this was played off our phones as well. Mm. So whereas previously you just had everyone sitting there on a keyboard, this time everyone was using their smart devices there uh, on, on a lot of, on all of the jackbox party pack. yeah you didn't need any any yeah. um, extra 
uh, Wii moats or anything. You just got your phone up, went to a URL, entered a code. You were in this it, little sandbox yeah. where you could all answer questions and write and draw. Yeah. So as well as you don't know, Jack, uh, there was a bluffing game called Fibbage. <gasps> Fibbage was a good laugh. So Fibbage is a bluffing game, um, but there was a bizarre drawing game called Drawful. That was one of the first ones oh, we God. played. You choose a name... Um, each person gets a, a sentence or a quip or something to draw. They draw it. Uh, the drawing is presented. Everybody has to select the name of what they think it is from a selection. But everyone has to type in what they think it is. So it's not clear what the ori- the original title, mm. which you're supposed to guess correctly, is thrown in amongst fake ones that people think might be this drawing so So you can lead people astray as much as you want you You can just throw things in to make other people laugh you get points if you answer the if you you get points if you get the name right or the quip right but if if you pick someone else's quip they get points off it and if loads of people select it there's like a popularity point etc so it's very silly that was but it was really so much fun and even for me a person who cannot draw and that confused the hell out of people but that was half the hilarity because you even if you're a brilliant drawer you're trying to draw with your finger on a smart screen on a very small canvas it's like finger painting yeah but there's also things like which i thought was quite canny um misspelt titles as Mm. if people had misspelt them when entering so but that that was presented as part of the game so it just kind of threw you off your game so there were some of the games lie swatter was pretty fun you basically picked whether it was true or false yeah that was um that was okay it was kind of like a knockout um you just had to hit the button and lastly word spud which we didn't quite get on with but we had a go regardless um, you basically fill in the start of a word and the end of a word. Yeah. And the end of the word was the beginning of the next word and you all had to type in what you thought the word could be. But it, it didn't deny you anything. Yeah. So you could misspell or... It didn't quite work. But it'd be interesting to see what comes out of that in the future. I think it's well worth um, it for you don't know Jack and Drawful. Yes. Um, the Jackbox Party Pack was on Steam. Yes. So we played it through there. Jolly good fun. Yeah. So uh, Ushio also brought along a couple of other games. So Berserkers, we had early access to, I think. Yes. That was great. This was a top-down, you're a bear running away from mutant polar bears bears. or something, panda bears. In a one-screen, it was a one-screen environment. Yeah, it zoomed in, zoomed out. It was a beautiful-looking game. And when we played, there were four of us and there was about two or three panda bears trying to eat our faces yeah basically run away dodge game um nowhere to hide no you could pick up some things you could dig tunnels to slow you, everyone down everyone could dig a tunnel to breathe because the bears move the, the bad guys move faster than you did and you could either you could either do a tunnel to nip under them or you could uh put a barrier up against them mm. So there was tactics of blocking people in and all that, and it was madness. Complete Pure madness. madness. Really did enjoy that. It was so much fun. Uh, very simple game, yeah. but so frustrating. Uh, what else do we have? They had Nippon Marathon, <laughs> which was a racing game designed to kill you, is the only way I can think of it. It was modelled on um, Japanese 
game Challenge shows in game shows. general. One was a top-down run from start to finish, Finch. avoiding things, picking things up. But they're all, they're, it had this weird isometric style. So you were at, you weren't you were at about fifty degrees offset. Mm. So running got it, it wasn't like a top down or a side view. It was disorientating because of the vision. Um, you were being you had random th- things like like storms of fish. Dogs would appear. The track would just position itself in really awkward positions. You uh, you were running around. You had uh, somebody dressed as a fish. You had someone dressed. As a there's just bizarre costumes. Like that... There was a guy in a tight lycra number that was a bit too tight. And... Yeah, that's quite weird. There was like a dog in a suit, and there was the old man who dresses up in the sailor suit. Yes, that was disturbing. He was in it, yeah. That was very, very good fun. It, it was had... so weeb. It was so funny. But the, like two sub games, which were quite fun. Yeah, the jump in a trolley game. I trolley think was bowling. Really funny. Yeah. You're at the top of a gigantic bowling rink. And you have to cannon a shopping, a gigantic shopping trolley, and obviously to make it more fun, there's ramps and <laughs> there's swinging demolition balls in the way, and that was that took us about like five or six goes to just understand so. the raw mechanics of it. It's like those weird sloppy physics games, but it was really well made. Uh, I was very impressed. With really it, felt like a ja- I, I could see it. It was being an actual Japanese yeah. game show. It was that close. But they also had the you had the race mode, uh, yeah. which was, and then you had the challenge mode, which was you had to get further across a, de- a, a, a challenge course. It was one at a time. You had to get as far across it as you could. And that was, uh, and they, whoever got the furthest, then everyone else had to match them. And it was slow knockout on that. And that was, I'm amazed more controllers didn't die. <laughs> We also played a game called Frog Climbers. Frog Climbers was so simple in its execution. Oh, God. The closest I could explain it is uh, Quop with the... Or or Clop. um, The running game where you had to control the runner's limbs, which, of course, you can appreciate just how clumsy you can make your runner. Yeah. Uh, Clop was the horse version of this, where you had four limbs running... Um, so frog climbers was another kind of physics game. You're you. It was You're like, a frog. You are a frog. You are climbing. You are pressing the arrow stick up and down to move your left car- left arm up and down, the other stick up down. But you have to press the right button to grab, and your frog is swinging, and mm. it's a little bit complex. And we'd had a couple of beers by this point, so it just wasn't happening, to be honest. So, it, yeah, and um, obviously, to make it more fun, you're going up a mountain which has got waterfalls, yeah. uh, balloons. Yeah, ropes to grab, but then they'll snap, and then you and fall swing off. And, and, and it's oh. a bit like Mario Kart. If you fall off the screen, like something in a balloon or something will grab you and pick you yeah. up and drop you down. So that was, that was nice. It was fun, yeah, but again... Was. I'm uh, somewhat surprised it didn't cause the death of a million controllers. <laughs> um, so Ultimate Chicken Horse was t- a 2D puzzle game where you could choose your animal, choose your creature. Your intro screen is select a thing. You go back to your screen and you have to make your way from the start point to the flag. But you put in obstacles in your way and each other's way. Yes. Um Ending in death hilarity. It's basically you've got to make the path as difficult for the other guys as possible without making it impossible for you. But the computer also notices if everyone if everyone makes it across, you get no points because it's too easy. So it's got to have danger on it. 
And oh my god, the selection of things you could have swinging chainsaws, you could have teleportation devices. Fire, stickiness, uh, spikes, bikes, portals, escalators, um, bombs, all um, sorts. There was a paper airplane machine that made folded and fired paper airplanes that you could jump onto. It, it's one of those games that's you're gonna lose friends over this. It's as simple <laughs> as that. It's so it's Super Mario PvP, I think, where you can make the uh, make the air, the area for yourself. Oh, maybe wasn't there a game Super Mario Builder or something? You could actually build your platforms. You're the Mario expert. <laughs> I'm not the wee 21st century Mario games right. expert. Only old school. Yep. But that was uh, yeah. That was also fun. And then we had genital jousting. <laughs> now. <laughs> Genital jousting. We're going to get through this without any dirty laughs. Genital, <laughs> joust- <too> <laughs> genital jousting is a collection of mini games, all based around combating penises. <laughs> yeah. By which I mean, you just had these uh, completely dismem. You had completely cut off uh, male genitalia. Uh, that would do such wonderful things as uh, wrestling each other or racing through obstacle courses Sticking or Sticking yourself jumps. in another penis. Or, yeah, no. it, was the, it was, oh God, it was filth. It um, was so weird it was and everywhere and squelchy. Oh and God, don't let your kids play this. It's a physics game it's and a, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's rude. It's, it's not. so squelchy, like... Some of it is quite grim, squelchy. Like, yeah. there's an eating game, shall we say? Where you have to eat sausages. So, quotation marks. Sausages. No, you actually. They were actually sausages. Oh, they look like poops. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Okay, that yeah. was. Uh... So, if you are a little bit smashed and you've got a couple of mates round, and you've got your Steam account round. And don't stream to oh, any accounts like you ever want your family it. or your workplace or whatever. Yeah. But you really want a huge laugh, especially with the filthier of your mates. <laughs> Honestly, genital jousting. You cannot go wrong with that, to be honest. Many thanks to our friend Ushio yes. who brought these games round. Um, he is on Twitter at Ushio underscore gaming, U-S-H-I-O. And he's also on uh, gaming.youtube.com. And his channel is, again, Ushio underscore gaming. Meanwhile... Cambridge B-Movie Festival. We went to the Cambridge B-Movie Festival. The 2018 Cambridge B-Movie Festival uh, was held uh, in Cambridge, funnily enough, at the Junction. At the Junction. All day Saturday, all day Sunday. It screened eight main films. Yep. It had about 12 to 14 shorts. Yep. Um, Each film slot was about two hours long with 60 or 90 minute break in between them. So you could toddle off and get some food or fresh air or whatever. But eat. Each each movie slot was two hours long, mm-hmm. but most of the movies were between like eighty to ninety minutes. So, yep, so they, they padded had, it out. They with padded shorts it out and made up adverts and actual adverts. And, and who was that musician guy? Oh, Carpenter Brute, that is a French synth horror musician, um, and has released a trilogy of EPs. Uh, as one album called Trilogy, and also his more recent one called Leather Teeth. They're soundtracks. Uh, oh, some of them are vocals, actually. Um, both are on Bandcamp, so I recommend. 
um, having a listen to Carpenter Brute. He also kickstarted mini movies. So if you go on YouTube, you'll see yeah. Turbo Killer, which is the most batshit sort of eighties modern music video you've seen. It, it was only released last year. But they they had him they had him on a couple of the intros to that. Um, uh, yeah, so extra music videos that he's made since Turbo Killer were shown at the Cambridge they had Movie these Festival. Utterly sinister faux um eighties eighties and seventies style cinema introductions which were wrong so wrong uh, i'm not even going to go into the detail of them no. people were, were visibly squelching and they had a whole bunch of shorts uh they had one about a woman landing on a planet with her survival robot and then then falling in love Aww. uh they had a couple of really good sinister horror ones they had one teddy about the picnic. teddy bear picnic which oh. just was grim oh it's so grim we really enjoyed it i mean i think there was only one we didn't like which was that vampire there was a vampire thing that was about like 15 minutes of just torture yeah and And it was like men torturing women Mm. and i was like oh there's no repercussions for this behavior and it just felt a bit icky really like nobody learned anything from it it was just done for for visual purposes yeah whereas everything else had a twist or was heartfelt or was comedy like there was something out of it like this was just look at my special effects and this woman's got her tits out and we're just stabbing her and it's like ew yeah why we saw and they had a bunch of stalls um which were awesome and selling a range of tat and the people there were absolutely lovely Selling a range of items. Authors had written their own books. Oh, God, the books were awesome. Uh, DVDs and T-shirts were on sale. Um, old magazines, like old Fangoria's. You'd had uh, people making jigsaw puzzles and selling them in VHS clamshell tapes. That was yeah. great. Indie jewellery, uh, costume jewellery. There was a massive raffle. Uh, someone was selling off Funko Pops. <laughs> yeah, good luck. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, and, the ticket booth was great. Yeah. It was an original 1920s press the button. Oh, the ticket so awesome. came out. It was a lot of fun. And because we were there recording an, uh, on, and, sorry, because we were there recording an On The Way To, mm-hmm. uh, which will soon be coming out on this, on this feed once I've got that all edited. Quick plug, quick plug. We also uh, did some on the day and on site reviews of the movies. That we saw, which you can hear now. So we just got out of Suburban Commando, <laughs> which had Hulk Hogan um, playing a pair of eyebrows. <laughs> he did. And um, is it Shelley Duvall? Shelley Duvall. Who plays Christopher? Christopher Lloyd's wife. Yep. And then we had two random children yep. playing um, the children. Yep. And then we had some smug twat from the 90s playing the evil boss. I have no idea who he was. We had, definitely had The Undertaker, and we yep. possibly had Brutus the Barber Beefcake yep. playing the bad guys. Uh-huh. And then we had someone I have no idea playing the ultimate bad guy. So it was Suburban Commando, our summary of it was a sequence of things happen. Hulk, se- Hulk yeah. Hogan's eyebrows take the stage. Yes. Uh, Take, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes the biscuit. Takes the cheese biscuit. So he's some guy from outer space that does things against the bad peoples, and then he gets sent to Earth for a bit of a holiday. A forced, forced holiday, yeah. and so he takes a room in Shelley Duvall's garage, yeah. for, which is for rent, but we never find out how on earth he pays for it. And no, literally, as Pick Up Jam says, stuff happens. <laughs> this film is amazing because there's no. No continuity between. No. no, there's amazing continuity 
but all the development and all the characterization happens because it needs to and that's it there are so many holes and things that contradict themselves the yes. main one for me was the whole plot point was Christopher Lloyd's character found the space Rambo's yes. stuff used it to save a lady slash hooker according as, to the credits it was le- lady slash hooker of which he does rescue her but he leaves it outside which opens up the earth for these evil bounty hunters to find Hulk Hogan because he's yes. supposed to be laying low yes. and then right at the end of the film the gun is used and it's chucked to one side after yes. everybody goes home it's like what? what's going uh, on why did you do that when you, the, whole, the entire crux of the film was leaving this equipment out where the yeah. aliens could find you when you're, not supposed, when you're supposed to be hidden I mean, on, on the one hand it follows every single trope of fish out of water of which Hulk Hogan is brilliant at in, in what I consider quite a brave move he plays the space alien that doesn't know what the hell's going on by just not knowing what the hell's going on no. and his, his lack of acting skills is a benefit is a benefit because it comes across as an alien so <laughs> it was it was an hour and a half of just shit happening I mean seriously I cannot express how much it's like they find out he's an alien and then they move on <laughs> and he keeps on beating up minds for no reason and there's so many little sequences yeah. that just happen and they have no intro and they have no outro and they have no comeuppance and it's still great and it was, I actually really enjoyed it <laughs> I did but it just yeah. left me so perplexed in so many yeah. ways yeah now I'm glad we didn't pay blockbuster rents to rent that I'm out. glad I didn't pay more than I understand any. why I didn't see that as a kid yes because, because nobody would have spent money on it, it not, not yeah. even borrowed off anyone we just didn't watch it now, we're going to be honest, I think having a couple of drinks beforehand definitely helped. <laughs> and this was the first movie we saw at the beginning of the festival. That's true. And That's uh, true. yeah, it was spectacularly bad. Yeah, really and I say that in the nicest yeah, yeah. of possible ways. What a great way to open this festival. Oh God, absolutely. And it had a wonderful, they had a wonderful uh, preview uh, feature, a little short feature at the front. Oh yeah, Gemini. Gemini, which we have n- neither I've of us have heard, heard of. I've never heard of before, so a summary of Gemini. A ge- summary of Gemini is uh, the... Uh, killer dinosaurs have come from out of the earth led by a psychic Tyrannosaurus Rex and they're out to destroy earth because of reasons and only uh, Gemini can save the earth and they can turn normal mon- normal animals into red angry monster animals attacking humans. humans and for some reason so you have like the T-Rex leads the attack of the dogs uh, a pterodactyl leads the attack of the bats because everyone knows that, that bats was, are the logical evolution of Tyrannosaurus that of, wasn't even the weirdest thing no so the entire 20-minute presentation we got must have been two TV episodes spliced together. Badly. It consisted of 2D animation, 2D animation stop-motion animation, and live, n- live action, man in a rubber suit, suit. and uh, models blowing up, Yes. ties into 3 so, so, so every single way of animating or yeah. filming science fiction was thrown into this presentation. So, so you had cell animation of these dogs running through a 3D model yes. town with fire, actual fire happening in the background. So it was like... Um, so strange. It was like, tra- it was like Thunderbirds meets um, Godzilla, which is not bad in and of itself. No one's complaining about that, though. With uh, Battle of the Planets animation yep. overlaid on top of all this happening. And, and, it was, and for me, also... Uh, most of the um, the voice cast were from Dog Tanyan and yeah. the Famous Gowns. So that was so weird. That was really 
I think really we had strange. Porthos basically telling us he was going to ch chin the planet. <laughs> I kill you. It was the weirdest animation I've ever seen. It and was, again, a wonderful show where yeah. it was very much a case of tell, don't show, or explain. Yeah. They just told you all the things that were happening because yeah. that was so much quicker than putting any effort into it. Yeah, that was good. So oh, that they was also a good beginning. And they also did a little snippet about like a two, two, three minute intro as to why Hulk Hogan was so awesome. Yeah, that was nice. That thoroughly explained why he was so big in the 90s and then thoroughly, and then the movie thoroughly explained why he never got big in movies. <laughs> the Gate. The Gate. Horror movie for teens. A weird horror movie for teens. because a bit gory, but... It's that, it's that elusive um, 12 to 15 year old participant uh, horror movie aimed at 16 and 17 year olds because what you really want when you're that age is 12 year olds saving the day from supernatural forces that appear in your parents back garden i'll give it this it preempted the 12 certificate before the 12 certificate was a thing in the yes. uk and it was nice to see an 80s film where the big sister didn't act like an asshole and yes. was actually quite empathetic so, to the younger kid sibling and yes. his slightly odd but well-meaning satanic friend. Yes, so very quick <laughs> plot overview. Kid finds gateway to hell in back garden. Satanic friend who discovers heavy metal album with incredible amount of uh, demono demonology within it. Uh, sister's mates make things terrible by throwing dead dog into gateway to hell cover it up with the old treehouse tree uh, moths are in it there's a load of humunculi that you're quite impressed with because they're little mm. clay monsters <laughs> with big ass butts I, and uh, <laughs> i you... was expecting far too many butt jokes i don't know what's happened i am ruined yeah. by butt jokes but they were really well animated and then in final sequel massive gateway to hell opens yep. with gigantic uh funnel going up into the, and no one notices out M in the suburbia no, no, no one no neighbor nonsense no neighbor nonsense do you think it had a big impact on stranger things almost certainly because if it was made in the 80s they condensed it and put it into stranger things you know what i mean there's like a massive tunnel to hell and friends try to throw a rope down is that just a trope though i think that might that just be a trope. it's almost certainly had an impact on the people behind uh stranger things definitely i, I actually i gotta confess even though this is one of those weird ass 15 horror movies uh that they churned out a whole bunch in the 80s i thought it was quite fun it was and i thought the kids were quite good actors give, giving it was quite long for what it was i thought when it was about to end something else happened but it was a good something else it was a false end it, it was a, mm. it wasn't a false ending it was a it was you thought the day was uh, this thought, thought the day was saved and it wasn't in a good way mm, 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 mm. i thought yeah. they handled that really well mm, mm. um and the kid actors mm. for a bunch of kid actors mm -hmm. i thought were pretty damn good it mm -hmm. was essentially the parents were in it for about the first 20 minutes and then they went away and then it's the kids dealing with a gateway to hell yeah and a subplot of extensive lack of parental supervision <laughs> uh and a combination of reckless self-endangerment and heavy metal saving the day which is a moral for everyone i do think absolutely moral for the ages. absolutely so after suburban commando after the gate there was Death Race 2000. This is the first time you'd seen it. This is the yep. umpteenth time I've seen it. So, what did you? So, do you want to do the plot overview as best you can? Death, wacky races, and a president. 
<laughs> Shall I have another go at yeah, that? Go on. <laughs> okay. In a dark near future um, of 1998, the Americas turned into a bizarre fascist dictator state. Bear in mind, this is a 1975 film. Yes. And they have the thing called the Death Race, which is the wacky races, a three-day-long race across from the East Coast the west coast of america i don't know if you can do that in three days i don't know if that's supposed to be part of the shininess you can when you've got wacky cars yeah and uh it's Point, number... points for who you knock down points for killing people yeah. um uh, is it babies or old people that are the babies highest... and old people are very high scores yeah i think women score 10 automatically score 10 extra points it's never quite clarified why they're doing that other than it's just sick and grim and uh, it's uh roger cormoran doing political satire that you observed was horrendously on the nose for this day and age horrifically true to form and that's terrifying lots of fake news lots of dodginess about being involved with foreign governments lots of the equivalent of social media like Mm. there was that blonde friends with everyone kind of mum's net tv presenter Mm, so preemptive of what we actually have to deal with every day day in media yeah. now david carradine playing frankenstein the mm. race god driver and i thought a very good showing by uh, sylvester stallone mm. as and it was uh, as as the uh well psychotic italian um i the one thing i would say is you got the so you basically as you said you got the five races going along this uh unsurprisingly quite empty landscape because mm-hmm. if you've got a national race on where they can legally run any, everyone over unlike in the purge everyone's you know the majority of people stay the hell indoors which is very sensible uh, you've got the five cars and two of them were driven by women yeah i mean you get your 1970s sexism and stuff but at the same time you did get a whole you can drive and i'll do this bit and stuff it was quite interesting it was pretty interesting cause you yeah basically i mean the had... St- stallone character was a massive chauvinist and he's like mm, mm. He, he's him his woman partner he's obviously the bad guy you know it was it was more of a character to well a trait i don't know it's late <laughs> I don't. I don't think there was really much character development at any point no, in the entire movie. No, I agree. But I, you know, I like the fact that you, that you had this idea that women could be psychotic assholes as well, especially mm. as one of them's a Nazi. Um, equal opportunities. Equal opportunity twattery. <laughs> did you like it? I did. Yes. I actually think of all the movies we've seen today, so far, that one, or of all the movies we've seen, that one, watch it. I think it's actually wor- really worth. Yeah, if you only have to choose one, I'd choose that one. I've always yeah. wanted to see it because I know they've remade it. Um, I know there's a sequel and I know there's a, a modern remake with a dip, slightly different plot line. Um, and but... this is radically different. And, all, and this is me saying a Jason Statham movie is awful. But yeah, this is the only Death Race worth, worth watching in my book. Yeah. It was so funny. It was. Um, I think what's interesting about it, even though it was made smack bang in the middle of the 1970s, it had a modern narrative to it. Mm. The pace was relentless. There were some quiet bits, but still high paced. Cutting was so sharp. There was quite a bit of tenderness in it between Frankenstein and his um, assistant driver and stuff. Um, there's more to that, but we won't spoil it. I also noticed that they, to make the cars look super, super fast, they double cut them. Yes, so they it played did go a little in... bit Benny Hill at times. Yes, didn't it? it was. Yeah, it yeah, had yeah. that stutteriness of yeah. double speed. So yeah, as you said, Benny Hill. Yeah, it all went um, a bit Benny Hill, but that kind of added to the charm. But then it, anything with yakety sax on, including <laughs> vehicular manslaughter, is uh, amusing. Well, that would have made Death Race even funnier. It but is one of the precursors to Carmageddon. 
because oh. that's been cited an awful lot. Interesting, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was it was pretty modern for its time, and it still holds up in a yes. kind of way. Um, I find a lot of 1970s film really difficult to watch. The the pacing, the delivery, um, maybe because it was a kid growing up in the 80s, watching 80s films, 90s films. They mm. were obviously shot differently from what everybody learnt from mm. that. But I do find 1970s films pacing very hard. And I also find the dialogue a little bit muddy. Um, I was watching an Al Capone film. For some reason, I've just watched a whole load of Sil Sylvester Stallone films recently. And I watched Rocky. And I was like, unless you listen to the dialogue, even when it's mumbling, sometimes there are some very important plot points that are relayed in not very obvious mm. dialogue bits. And you really have to be on the ball and not double screening or anything. But Death Race was like bang, bang, bang. Mm. You knew exactly what was going on. And it was really tight. So yeah, good film. Watch that. Watch that. I can totally understand why it's a B movie, but it's <laughs> it. I mean, they're all great B movies, but that was particularly good. They're all great, you say. Well, Samurai Cop. So that. Oh so God. The extreme B movie festival um, ended with, on Saturday with Samurai Cop, a film called Samurai Cop. Oh my I God! I can't believe. It was made in 1990. I can't believe it was made. Andy can't believe it was made. It was... Oh, everything about it was so earnest, but so frightfully funny. It was so unintentionally cut. Oh, it was crap. so awkward. The sexy scenes with the sexy people were so unsexy. So unsexy. They even had high-cut bikinis, which Andy really For likes. the boys and the girls. <laughs> Everybody was very gorgeous. Everyone was very gorgeous. So and no one could act. Nobody. Nobody could act. There was so many sexist points in it. Dialogue. Mm. There was a, the woman cop asking the priest if he wanted to boink. There was... And just the, the main cop character, the samurai cop, who only held a samurai sword like for 20 seconds in the entire film. Spoilers. Uh, he was a samurai cop because he could speak Japanese. Yeah, we never heard him utter a word, a word, did we? Uh, Maybe one word, but and it was probably pronounced differently. I think there was, there was a word... Thank you. There was one word... He translated katana as Japanese sword. Yeah. Which, it, that's not... It, it's a samurai well, it's a sword. It's a very broad generalisation, yes. isn't it? So. It's almost as if the person who did the, the, the research for the movie had no damn clue what they were on about. I mean, people give weeaboos a massively bad time, but honestly, there have been weeaboos throughout every decade. How would you describe the plot? <sighs> bad. <laughs> uh, so if anyone is even slightly interested to the plot for this movie, because let's face it, the writer wasn't, uh, there's a bad guy who's Japanese and he's got a bunch of people on his side who are various races. Is it the Katana? The, the Katana clan. The Katana. The Ginza. And like the Shibuya. Shibuya. Or yeah, or like... the. We found places on a map. And. And yeah, so you had Samurai Cop, cop who. Samurai Cop. Samurai cop <laughs> you had Samurai, samurai Cop who is. Shagging his way around LA, you had black cop hitting on every single woman. woman. You had black cop whose motivation was he was black and a cop, who was also a Terminator. Oh, he was a dead shot. You had this black guy that half the for half of the movie is the comic 
is is the sassy streetwise every, the worst possible example of caricature of the era little comic comic sidekick and then he gets a gun and he just dead eyes everyone he meets he's rather good at his job oh, but man, he's, he's awful a fucking death machine he's awful at puns like, all... In fact, they're not even puns. It's just bad dialogue. He's got bad dialogue. Okay, so this... you're expecting a baseline okay. to kick in at any so moment. There's this scene where samurai cop jumps over a fence, oh, God. and then the camera pans up to show him, showing him jumping over the fence. And Andy whispers to me, "There's a gap at the bottom of that fence. Why doesn't he go under there?" And then the camera shoots to the black cop. He does go under there, and samurai cop asks the black <laughs> black cop. Well, did it? Did you just crawl under that fence? And then the black cop goes, "I'm an undercover cop." <laughs> yeah, he does that, looking straight at the camera with a smile, smile on his face that says, "I'm the next fucking Eddie Murphy." <coughs> it was just so awful, hilarious, absolutely earnestly hilarious. I would say this: if I saw this movie by myself or just at home, I would probably think it was pointless it was utterly terrible i think it would make you angry watching it on its own we saw it in a cinema with a hundred people and (laughs) that is just within the first two minutes people just started laughing just cracking up cracking there's a it wasn't a snortle it it was was, it was they were laughing at the awfulness of it including the completely pointless sex scenes that weren't sexy so sexy even with those high cut briefs Mm -mm -mm, they had like (laughs) Ten minutes no. <laughs> in, they had a three-minute nookie session for no reason. And all, at least with the sexy scenes, they don't discriminate between body type as well. Like mm. You had stubby people having the sexy time. Oh, actually, all the women were kind of lanky and skinny. Mm. But yeah, so for the men's equal opportunity. And, ver- and everyone had very high-cut um, swimming briefs. So high-cut. So yeah, uh, that one. Uh, it was awkwardly cut, like pausing. Oh, <laughs> there's, there's one scene where the boss cop, like the J. Jonah Jameson of the cop world, is having a massive go at Samurai Cop and Black Cop. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to call him Black Cop because I don't actually know what his name. That is. was his defining. Basically... You had Samurai Cop and you had Black Cop, and that was the defining. Th- you also had Woman Cop. Yeah. You had Expendable Cop, and you had Chief of Police Cop. So Chief of Police Cop, the J. Jonah Jameson of chief of police is having a massive go because they keep shooting everyone not bringing anyone in for any questioning mm. and there's this one particular scene where he's just he's what he's pointed at them to get out and they've got out of his office and he's closed his eyes and he's closed his eyes but he's pausing like you do because you can imagine someone going and cut in the background and then he suddenly falls back in his chair and then he starts laughing it's like that is the actual film that they have yeah. shot but half of that scene should have been to trail on to another scene. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't have actually been put in the final they had, they, had some, they had some massive overacting. So, like, you've got this so police officer whose job is to stop this guy that they that recently caught fire for practically no reason, uh, to stop anyone going in and, uh, I don't know, cutting his head off. And then he's talking to the other cops. So he just delivers his scene with absolute... OTT intensity and they go right well guard that room make sure no one comes in and cuts that guy's head off and so the very first thing he does is chat up a nurse and would you believe it someone comes in and cuts his head off and you're looking at it and you're just like yeah alright okay maybe, maybe the best actor is that guy that got set on fire he was the best actor was the one that got set on fire <laughs> oh, yeah. 
uh, impressively so. Uh, although he was never in the car that was on fire, at, that he that got set on fire at any point. He just came out of the taxi. Because he's and absolutely, he was on fire. very obviously, none of the uh, people that were in that seat in that vehicle originally. So funny. Yeah. So time machine. Nineteen sixties classic H. Wells telling of an H.G. Wells story about a man who travels through time from Victorian England to the future. Thankfully, only two or three racist, sexist clangers. It was actually quite a sweet film. Um, Lots of thoughts about loss of friendship, humanity, people in the future not really wanting to read up on past histories and learning Mm. from mistakes, but also apologies when assumptions are made. Mm. Lots of heartfelt camaraderie, people believing in you, supporting you, and maybe not so much, and the reactions to new ideas. Definitely a lot of old-style sci-fi, you know, turn-of-the-century HG, well, go on, my son, sort of adventure do-goodery. There was. And the colours were really crisp, actually, in that print. And I can under- I would class that as an all-ages science fiction, not particularly sci-fi for kids. Like, I think it may have been advertised as in the past. I don't think it's for... I think if It's a definitely child, for all ages. If a child watched it... I think it was a PG certificate. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with a kid watching it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if the kid had a lot of questions and was a little bit, ah... Uh, because the Morlocks are well, quite scary. They are a bit... Yeah. But also the kind of squishy and blue. So yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you kill squishy and blue people; <laughs> they're they're like Smurfs on PCP. <laughs> but no, I was quite impressed with it, and it was a really good film to have on in the morning. It was maybe. definitely a morning film, I thought. Yeah. How about so, you, Andy? Yeah. You'd seen it before. I'd seen it before, and I really like it. I think it's a wonderful. I like the framing device they've got in it. Mm. I like the end piece because so I'm not going to give away the. It's not really a twist ending, but it's a a question ending which is a little bit but I've never seen it done so well Um, and I just like all the characters and all the actors in it are good I mean it's definitely a 60s movie um, but in a really good way it's it's of its era as in like a showcase piece and very lush rather than anything else technically quite simple because it all happens Mm. within a a small area of itself just over a couple thousand years but there's no cinematic whimsy like bed knobs and broomsticks which I think was made at the same sort of time so I think younger viewers who may have I know that when I was a kid when it was on it was a little bit boring for me at the time because I was expecting it to have that kind of weird whimsy but it stands as its own piece yes Um, I'm glad very glad to have seen it on the big screen Definitely. Moving on. Moving House. on. House. Uh, the very 80s uh, haunted house movie with strangeness in it about a writer who loses his son in a swimming pool and then his mum, his grandmum commits suicide and it's all It was quite his auntie, was it? Auntie. His auntie. Commits suicide. It was, uh, auntie keeps saying the house is haunted. And it is. And nobody believes her. Uh, the kid mysteriously disappears a few years ago. No mm. one can really put their hands on it, how and why it all happens. Yeah. The guy, I don't know what he writes, science fiction? He writes horror. Horror. His next his... book is going to be his... Uh, recap recounts of his Vietnam experiences, yes. which is a little bit off kilter, but he just can't get started. Mm. Um, and he's got a divorce uh, with his wife. Beautiful he, actress wife. They, never they have quite. 
it's never quite explained. But I then, but then the kid thing is. I think it's the kid explained. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's kind of nice. It didn't have to be so explicit. Yeah, and he's got a neighbour who's Norman from Cheers. Uh, yeah. He's kind of presented as the nosy neighbour, but actually he's just like this guy concerned about it, which is nice. That it is nice that everyone's concerned, even though the husband and wife are are divorcing. There is yeah. a concern for yeah. each other in it. And it's a horror comedy, mm. or sorry. It's more of a comedy horror because <laughs> yeah. there's definitely some really grim bits in it and some yeah. quite frightening jump scares. Like it starts and off as just a drama. Like mm. there's no real comedy bits in it. There's some funny close-up cinematography of the writer's fans at the start, but that's all that it alludes to it being a bit of a comedy. There's so a couple of the evil dead comedy moments mm. as in the horror bits are funny and like a... If you if you, if you see it as Wiley e. Coyote versus Roadrunner mm. stuff, but you actually care about the people involved, you do. Um, like no one's particularly malicious, mm. um, and then the last third, um, it's just weird, ties everything together. Again, we're not going to give away that ending. No, but recommend that again. It was I, a good choice. Again. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it, me it, too. A lot of people have it as cheese. Yeah, and if you're expecting it to be like good good horror yeah. that's not going to work but if you go into it an open mind I think yeah. it's absolutely worth it and I, I really like my conclusive tied up endings mm. and that really hit all the nails for me so yeah. I was happy to see that yeah it was pretty good and has some lovely surreal moments it really does and they, they, and you, the thing is you say it, tie, it ties everything up you like that I like the fact that it doesn't answer all the questions Oh, but it's, it's a neat enough ending. Oh, yeah, 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 no. yeah, yeah. I don't think that detracts. I, th- I don't think that detracts from the tidy up, though. Mm. The fact there's still it, it, there's still a bunch of stuff that's never n- never answered, mm. but everything you need for the plot is is, is there. That's so I, that I think is a wonderful balance between the two options. Fantastic. So that was great. And then the last film that we've got, we are then the last the next film that we saw on Sunday yes. Bill was. Uh, I Come in Peace, also known as Dark Angel, yeah. Dolph Lundgren, yep. and what, how would you recap the plot, my dear? 80s buddy cop, awful dialogue, kind of comedy, cops doing the dirty on each other, really bad timing, lots of drug deals, and... And angels of death yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of cocaine slash cottage cheese moments <laughs> to give it a bit of context Dolph Lundgren is uh, a cop yep. and he's given an FBI buddy because he has to go and investigate some new drug dealer on the scene that happens to be a space alien that's right so the first drug deal thing that you see yeah. everybody in on he's uh, partner gets shot because he's distracted by another robbery that's happening directly opposite. Mm. So he's like, oh, what do I do? Yeah. So instead of you know looking after his buddy and ringing nine one one, he decides to go in and save it himself. Well, he sa- yeah, he saves Which, about three people from <laughs> civilians exactly. from getting shot, and everything blows up, and he very sadly loses his cop partner. And of course, they uh, give him a new partner who's this. Short FBI agent with a chip on his shoulder, and of course they don't get on because that's the crux of the the thing. Um, And then there's like relationships that go a bit sour, and you don't know me really, sort of backgrounds. And it's the dialogue is naff, but it's kind of charming (laughs) at the same time. Lots of people were laughing during it. Yeah, mostly at the dialogue. Yeah, but as far as action films go, it's pretty pretty. Good, I think. The action was actiony. There was only one scene in the final fight that you see it and they're just going, this is horseshit. Like, yeah, please end. There's there's, uh, like an an evil snake 
rope that comes out of the Diode bad guy's sort of arm that attaches itself to its victims and the Dolph Lundgren character is wrestling with it and it's like please can we just stop wrestling with it and move on and I swear to god it happens like five seconds just people going <laughs> trying to push this killer snipey that was cable. about a minute and a half oh it felt like five minutes solid oh, <laughs> if like, they'd done it for 15 <laughs> seconds it would have been great but they just went we haven't got enough fight scene. Let's have him just fight a whirly snake. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, um, another recommendation. Um, <laughs> not, as, not uh, as much as the other two, or if it's, yeah. if it's on television, watch yeah, it, like record it on your TV or something. But cool. I'd recommend that. We also saw Cue the Winged Serpent afterwards because um, we couldn't stay all the way till the end. But so, I watched it last night. Cue the Wing Serpent. What the fuck was going on, guys? <laughs> it's a 1982 so, David Carradine movie. We love David Carradine, but <laughs> what the hell was going on here? So there was a rubber monster movie with Ray Harryhausen quality artwork and animation. Oh, yeah. And then there was this incompetent diamond smuggling heist dude who was just rubbish. And there were lots of... Uh, what were the bits in between where people were... And it was, what was the word? Aztec is a shenanigans New, going on. New York, uh, you have Quetzalcoatl, the winged serpent god, turn up because someone's going around flaying people alive to, to summon an Aztec god. And he's slowly but surely picking people off of a rooftop. Uh, David Carradine is the hard-bitten New York cop that's trying to serve these mo- solve these uh, murders whilst also just being deeply cynical. Um, bimbling around, bumping into plots as it turns up. Parallel to that, you have a guy who screws up a heist, diamond heist, who then finds the lair of Quetzalcoatl, um, and then he sells the police the info, and then they go up and shoot it. And I mean, it's it's not bad. It starts strong. I can't remember many other movies that start with a window cleaner having his head bitten off. But it was so gross as oh, well. It was like properly strawberry jam. It, it was. It really was like burnt skeletons and the insides of someone's neck and a lot of flayed people. So many people getting destroyed and bleeding and everything. It was really odd. Um, but I think it was like three films in one. Mm. They probably just should have stepped. Stayed at two. The stop motion was amazing, though. Yeah, shoe looked brilliant. Yeah, high quality. Um, but uh, yeah, don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, not good. No, um, I'm kind of glad we didn't stay for it to be honest. But maybe it would have been good on a big screen. I think on the bit. I, th- I don't think it would have been good on the big screen. I think with the crowd that were there, yes, and with the right amount of beverage, I think it would have been enjoyable <laughs> to watch for and next year. We'll, so there are lots of indie brewers, so you could help get yourself a little bit sozzled to help exacerbate the experience. Yes. <laughs> exacerbate. Maybe that's not the right word. Um, but it was it was really good to see these films on the big screen, basically in your own cinema. There were, what, 100 people there, max? About it, 100, 150, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and uh, when everybody started giggling at Samurai Cop, oh my word. Oh, it, know, was, it was a giggle They were great. So we're doing we, it again. We will. We're going to reserve the last weekend in July for the Cambridge B-Movie Festival. You can find out more information online, cambridgebmovie.co.uk. On twitter.com, they are at cambridgebmovie. 
And on Facebook.com, they are also Cambridge B-Movie. So and nice to see some brand consistency there, guys. Keep it up. And they're absolutely lovely people and do listen to the On The Way too. Support these guys. Yeah. They describe themselves as two guys with a laptop who just love these cheesy B-Movies. Yeah. It's like, yes, I want to support you. This is exactly the sort of thing that I wish to see in my daily life. Great. So you can hear more about it on our soon-to-be-released On The Way To podcast, as well as our Shoreditch Adventure. Yeah. We're riding the cultural zeitgeist with that one. It's only about five years late. So we're going on tour. Uh, we've got some upcoming events. I yes. will be at the Will Adams Festival to do some caricature portraits. This is confirmed. Saturday the 8th of September. So very soon. Yes. You can visit... You can go to the website, visitmedway.org forward slash will hyphen Adams hyphen festival. Um, I'll post about it on facebook.com forward slash pinkhubblejam art. We also have, we then on the 22nd and 23rd of September, we have the Thought Bubble Festival. Yep. Where we are both going to be exhibiting because I will hopefully have my latest creation out of the door dum 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 more about that when I finish doing it uh, but keep an eye on that and so all the normal uh, fun and frolics we don't have our table numbers yet I don't believe oh no we do I just can't remember what they okay. are okay we will get the table numbers out on our various sites and that, that's uh, in Leeds and it's a very very comic-y event it's very definitely comic in fact the entire Thought Bubble Festival is on the Monday to Friday prior to mm. this and Saturday and Sunday it culminates in yes. a comic convention yes. so that's if you're in leeds check out what they're doing in the week lots of special events uh films uh galleries exhibitions etc talks especially saturday the 22nd sunday 23rd you want to be by the leeds central library mm. i think it used to be in the armories and it's not there anymore unfortunately they've split it up they split it yeah. up. so yeah october on the 26th to 28th of october mcm got a stall that should be yeah i'm excited for mcm I'm very excited it's gonna be mainly my stuff as well as andy's comic but yep. we are there to shift our books oh yes i'm very excited so if you're gonna be at mcm gonna look forward to seeing you there so yes. come by say hi and uh, a little bit later on in the day but still wonderful nonetheless i'll be able to visit doki doki manchester mm. japanese festival this is at the sugden sports center Saturday, 10th of November. Andy's got a table. I've got a table. We'll be there for the day selling you wares. I'm not quite sure how I count this Japanese culture. <laughs> you do now. <laughs> um, yes. So that will be awesome. Yeah. Just before that one, on the twenty fourth, on the twenty second to twenty fourth November, we're going to be at Habanacon over at Milton Keynes. Oh, but as punters, but as punters, so, but I will yep. be giving a talk. You will, my love. I'll That's be very exciting. I will be rerunning my uh, various types of cyberpunk talks. That should be fun. It seems like a, we've been speaking to people. And it seems like a very culturally based, very fun. Lots event, of talks, so. cozy talks, hotel chatting. I'm excited. It's uh, there was the first one was last year. I always let the first one go. Yeah. To see what it's like and hear reports back from my mates, and I'm so pleased to say that it was. It sounded like the sort of con. I'd really enjoy. Yeah. But yeah, and after that, we've got nothing this year because, damn it, we need a goddamn break. <laughs> so, after Bonfire Night and Doki Doki on the 10th of November, <laughs> then Christmas can happen. <laughs> yes. 
So yeah, that's our tour dates coming up. So, and that's our update for August 2018. If you like this podcast, then please share it with your friends and rate us online. It really helps spread the word. We'll love you forever. The Hardcore Genki podcast is available from raggedyman.net slash the Raggedy Jam podcast, as well as an iTunes, Stitch Radio podcast, and Under a Shade, Sipping on a G&T. <laughs> it's also syndicated on bunkazilla.co.uk, the UK geek culture online radio channel. And as always, please send us any feedback, questions, comments you have to superfortresshg at gmail or tweet us at Hardcore Genki. Andrew Raggedyman can be found at Needlessly Aggressive Products on Facebook uh, or on the website raggedyman.net. And Laura Pink Apple Jam can be found on Twitter at Biomecha Comic, on Facebook at Pink Apple Jam Art, and online at pinkapplejam.com and biomechacomic.com. So until next time, goodbye and farewell from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Bye!